1: Hello. We we are having fun technical disasters today, so we we thought it'd be fun to put ourselves on Zoom, so we could see each other and have more prompts and make it a bit more like we're in the same room to get kind of a Your room a natural a natural feel. Um, but uh, James is having such wonderful. Oh, here he is! Here he is. Hello. Hi. (laughs) We're we're about 15 minutes later than we were going to start because of this. Poor James was trying to uh, podcast live from a cupboard, which couldn't get any internet. Uh, But he's he's finally made it. Dobby's made it. (laughs) (laughs) Dobby. Thanks very much.
2: Uh, yes, it turns out, who knew wardrobe would be a really bad place? Well, it's not a wardrobe, it's an it's a built-in wardrobe, which I think is the real problem. Um, but yeah, uh, I should say, because one of my notes I've made, my detailed notes that I've uh, plucked from the chest of drawers that I was previously keeping them in, uh, suggests that we have to remind people, if you're listening um, on Locker Room, welcome. Uh, we are obviously been testing this app for uh, a few uh, weeks now. Um, it's been a great experience, Only so a bit different. If you're listening after the fact, if you like, because we are live on the Locker Room app, but we're also of course on iTunes and Spotify and your preferred podcast providers, as I believe you're supposed to say, um, please do leave us a review and a rating. It's the best way for other people to get to know about the podcast um, or follow us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod as well. It's another way you can find out about us. In the meantime, let's get on with the podcast because Rafa Nadal is a 13-time French Open champion in scenes that almost no one could have predicted. Uh, Or I should say, in this particular pod, no one except me predicted that Ralph Nadal would become a 13-time French Open champion. I'm getting that one in early because there's not going to be a lot of other success stories for my predictions, unfortunately. Um, George, I know you've been saying for about 18 months that Novak Djokovic would win this French Open. So, what went wrong?
1: (laughs) Um... Oh, it's a good question. There are, there are many things that went wrong. The, the biggest one was that Rafael Nadal turned up and played probably the best match I've seen him play for about four years, I think. I mean, he was absolutely spectacular for the uh, majority of that. The other mild issue, and I, again, I don't really think this would have made a big difference in the kind of long run given how well Nadal was playing but Djokovic's relentless attempts to drop shot Nadal who had clearly been watching Djokovic try and drop shot everyone else this whole tournament so wasn't caught off guard by it at all um, just totally failed as a tactic and I thought Djokovic was very flat until kind of the third set as well which was rare for him Um, but perhaps it was just one of those days where Nadal was just so superior that he kind of bowed down and accepted it.
2: I mean, it did feel like that. They both said it afterwards, didn't they? That that there was kind of this mutual acceptance between the two of them where Rafa was like, I was better today and and I beat you. And Novak said, yes, you were. And I wonder whether, you know, you get bageled in the first set of the slam final, like by Rafa Nadal, and you sort of go, well, you must be playing really well if that's happened.
0: Yeah, I mean... Djokovic play, it it was such a strange match, though, because, like, the first set was six-love, but I think Djokovic had game points in four or five of the games, and I think that Mark Petchy made a point on the commentary that a six-love set, and this is true, a six-love set generally lasts between 20 and 25 minutes, but that six-love set was 47 minutes. Mm. And then even in the second set, um, I can't remember specifically, but I think, like, Djokovic maybe had, like, a break point at, one all or something and didn't take it. And then he had points to then make it two all and didn't take it. And then he had a couple more break points later in the set, didn't take any of them. And suddenly six love six, two. And, Mm -hmm. and it was a strange sort of, although Nadal was without a doubt much better on the day, it was a strange pathway to six love six, two in the first two sets, not one that you'd normally find.
2: Did you notice? Did did he approach this any differently? I mean, I know that he's only lost as Djokovic once on uh, Roland Garros, I should say. Um, I mean, was this was it just a question of level, or was there something that Rafa did that that you could look at and say, oh, he's actually changed things up a bit here?
0: I think a combination of of everything. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those, I think it's it's easy to always look at, like, whether there was a tactical thing that happened or what what actually happened. But, you know, end of the day, they're two of the top five players of all time. Mm -hmm. And Djokovic is a better player than Nadal overall. But if they play 20 times, he's not going to win all 20. And I I think that, you know, it was just, this was one of the times that, You know, he's clearly got the hex over Nadal in general. We only have to look at their results against each other in majors in the last five years. But at the same time, there were things that that Nadal did. The things that normally, that that Djokovic can normally beat Nadal doing, he's one of the only players that can out-rally him and and be more Mm -hmm. patient than Nadal is. And Nadal sort of, he went a bit more on the attack. Um, There was one point early doors where he stepped into the court and drilled a backhand cross-court winner. And I think that generally that sort of set the tone because he'd normally be much further behind the baseline. And in the rallies, he was much further caught in this match than he generally is. And that kind of stopped one of Djokovic's other points where he normally gets against Nadal is that he sort of, he has this fantastic sort of not quite an angled forehand, but he breaks the sideline on it and gets Nadal out of position on his backhand and can then attack the forehand. Whereas Nadal, standing further at the court, he was taking that backhand before it crossed the sideline.
1: Yeah, and I mean, on that kind of a point, tactically, I mean, as you say, I, I don't think there's necessarily one thing you always say was right or wrong, but it, what you're saying there about Djokovic normally having the confidence, I, I almost describe it as the arrogance of, taking on the nadal forehand on clay didn't really seem to do that enough or as much as he usually did and that's what i kind of meant about the the drop shot actually it seemed to move away from something that had worked so you know for so long for him on clay in the past um yeah you know i, I don't really know i mean and do you think him kind of telegraphing the drop shots in terms of he was playing so many in every single round. It felt like he was practicing just for this match, but do you think it was something that he maybe lacked the element of surprise because he'd almost forecast his tactics in every single round building up
0: to this? Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. And also he's playing against another level of opponent than what he'd beaten previously. It was, you know, you've got to be sitting some drop shots to be drop shot in the doubt. And, you know, I I think it was just poor tactics overall yeah
1: but even you know as we said I think even if he had the perfect tactics on the day it would uh, it would take something special Um, I I, I was really enjoying well not enjoying but I I kind of was musing after Nadal had won that Um, he's only one slam win away from actually equaling Pete Sampress's record for every slam just at the French Open I mean that. That's unbelievable, isn't it? When you consider how Sampras's 14 were once framed as this is never going to be beaten.
0: Yeah, and I think also on top of that, just why I put a tweet out yesterday, just when you look further into the stats, that I think it's since 2015, he's only lost, I think he's only lost three sets in, in five years. And that's three sets out of 91 played. And his average number of games lost per set is two games per set. And only on, I forget the exact number, but I think he's only on seven occasions has anyone got more than four games in a set against him. It's, it's complete and utter dominance that I don't think, I think Murray made the point today, it's, 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 it's the most dominant sort of situation in sport, I'd say.
1: dear um. Sorry, I was just just thrown by. Oh, here we go. There's James. I was just thrown by everyone popping up there. Oh, where's he gone? Um, James, you're back. Like Slim Shady, I'm back.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> we we were momentarily panicking. <laughs> we're waiting for James to speak. We, we, we've set up on Zoom today as well as on Locker Room, so we could see each other. And we're waiting for James to speak, and he's just sat there, stone faced, we're like, "What's going on here? What's
0: going on?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no
1: typing. My honestly, just I mean,
2: died I worked, <laughs> This is going so well today. I worked in live radio for a year, and I don't think I had as much stress in that entire year as I have in the last twenty-five minutes. But I am back. Um, can I move us on seamlessly to the goat discussion, or have I missed the boat on that one? No,
0: no, you have not missed it, that. It would it's go super, seamlessly as well. Super.
2: <laughs> Segways are better when you really talk them out. Um, <laughs> of course, the discussion has gone goat, with because it almost always does when any of those three play each other. Rafael Nadal is now drawn level. In a, interestingly, in a Sunday, when Lewis Hamilton drew level with Michael Schumacher on Grand Prix wins, Rafael Nadal drew level with Roger Federer on Grand Slam titles. And uh, LeBron, uh, sorry, the Lakers drew level on all-time NBA title wins. I believe that's right.
0: Um, and there's some so conjecture the- about that because uh, of the franchises and what. Ah, I that's disappointing. <laughs> there we well Well, have ruined his moment there. Calvin. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <DL>. <laughs> the technicality. Uh, either way, there's definitely a goat debate in tennis. Uh, Nadal 20, Federer 20, Djokovic 17. It's hard to do this discussion sometimes in the middle of their careers. But I sort of wrote something today um, in the eye, kind of looking at where we might get to. For me, Roger Federer's high watermark, his maximum end of career number is 23. And for me. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell, that's high. I think it's <laughs> <to> 21. <laughs> well, I, what what I'm saying is.
1: 23, where have you got that from?
2: Cause he's <laughs> yeah, got, that's sensational. I mean, yeah, like I said, that's, his, that's the ceiling. I'm not saying that. But... I, I, I think that's uh, up in Jupiter. That is, that's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that does, involve, that does involve him winning the Australian, Wimbledon, and the US Open next year.
1: The US Open he's not won since 2008. This is. I this mean, is that, like I like said, it, it's a scene. <laughs>
2: but, but I also think it's kind of irrelevant because I think if he wins 23, he's still going to end up being the third greatest player of all time on Grand Slam wins because I think both Nadal and Djokovic will go past him.
0: Um, yeah, I, th- I think they probably will both pass him. Um, but again, you know, we, we don't. you got to look at the other ways that, like, next year's French Open, Nadal will be 35 years old. And he, he's. Yeah, but yeah, just like he's
2: played the best final of his career, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, he's yeah. dominant, but at some stage, at some stage, this is going to end, and it will be at a time when we don't think it's going to end. It, I, I don't think he'll gradually fade out. I think mm-hmm. it, 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 he he might win another three, but I think he'll win next year purely because it's only seven months away. But yeah. um, I, I think sort of, you know, on the 2022 French Open, we are getting to the stage then where you go, you know, he'll be 36 years old then and, and having to win on a clay court. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of miles in those legs.
2: So, um, do you think that if if twenty three, let's say, let's say Federer gets twenty one, I mean, you think he'll he'll equal that because he'll win the French again? Well, twenty two, twenty three.
0: I, um, I, I don't, uh, The thing is with Nadal as well though, I don't see where he's winning the other ones. Although he's he's the best of the lot of cleaning up when everyone else isn't there. Mm. as as we've seen he's he's got he's got two or three of those on on at uh, the others where you know like stuff like that i i keep ba- banging on about it like a broken record the the US Open he won without beating anybody in the top 25 in the world <laughs> um and i i think I, I don't see him winning another except for the the French unless everyone else unless the the tournament falls away for mm. me i i still think in terms of the the goat contest i still think I've got Djokovic as number one, purely because his head-to-head record against the other two in slams is way, way better than either of the other two.
1: I, um, I, I've been thinking about the figures, obviously, a lot. I do this all the time. Every night before I go to bed, I consider <laughs> how many slams Federer, and Nadal, and Djokovic are going to end up on. I, I will honestly be very surprised if Federer even gets to 21 now. Um, I think he's got one last shot at Wimbledon, possibly. And even then, I don't believe he's going to win that, personally. Um, or at least he's Why? not going to win it unless Djokovic goes out. Djokovic has just got his number there. I mean, honestly, people going on about Federer being the greatest on grass, he's never beaten Djokovic in the final, though. Yeah. It's, it's fake news. Fake news. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the hot take today. Our first um... fake news <laughs> So... You know, the
0: right. one thing i sorry. The, the one thing I'll say about Federer that doesn't get said enough is that I still think, it, although I know people have sort of changed history on this, I still think his peak, his best tennis, was before the other two came around. Mm. So he's been very consistent in the latter stage of his career and still playing to an exceptional level. But two thousand and four, five, Federer for me was was the the ceiling of. The best, I think, if that player, that Federer beats the other two, but unfortunately, the other, two, he was just a little bit past his prime when the other two came about.
1: Yeah, and, and that is a fair point. I mean, it is so, it is very, very difficult to take all these players at their peaks and say this guy yeah. was the best. You know, they've all had different moments where they've been better. For me personally, I think Djokovic, when you consider he's had to come up through the other two and yeah. then just become this complete player. I think does put him number one. Um, I think he will surpass them both. I've actually had a lot now, this is a bit of a rogue shout, but for a long time I've said Djokovic is gonna beat Margaret Court's record. I don't know what you think about that, but that's that's a very outlandish claim that we don't often see kind of said. But I think that's a low key possibility that he could actually be going for twenty five, for example. I don't think that that's if he wanted could, to.
2: I don't think that's completely out of the question. Like he's he's an all surface player. You know, by twenty, as Calvin was saying, by 2022, 2023, he'll only be 35, 36. The other two might have gone. He could win a career slam that year if the other other people don't pull pull their fingers out. And realistically, he hasn't had what Nadal and Federer have had, which is lower body injuries in a big way. I know he's had the elbow thing and I think he's had two surgeries that we know of. One that he talks about and one that he doesn't talk about but did happen. Um, that's not conspiracy theory. Like, <laughs> he, just, he just doesn't call it surgery. He calls it like a, a, a medical intervention that involves a surgical procedure, <laughs> i.e. surgery.
1: You can have some crocodiles on your timeline.
2: If <laughs> I'm getting distracted. The point is he hasn't had those big lower body problems. You know, Federer's knee is really what's holding him back now. Similarly, Nadal had, I think, a pretty big knee injury and he'd had an Achilles as well. You know, and that that does catch up with you. You can't really fix those. You can plaster them and you can make them work, but they're never like new. Uh, and it feels like Djokovic has avoided that. And and we know that Djokovic is fitter than the other two put together. He is a, just a fitter guy for whatever reason it might be. Um, he realistically just is.
0: And he's incredibly flexible and he's avoided all that. So...
2: Yeah, it might be outrageous, but I don't think it's that part of the question.
0: Yeah, I'd, and and as well I think if if somebody was to tell us now that some that one of them is going to win 7 out of the next 9 slams, there's only one one of them that could do that. Mm. Like so and, and that is that is feasible that he could do that. Um but again at the same time I I'm, I maybe I've said I've had this conversation with two or three people over the last 24 hours and maybe I'm not wording it right that there will be one a point. He's at the age where there will be a point where it, it just stops. That's how sport works, like falling, um, falling off
2: a cliff.
0: Yeah, and, and look, let's face it with Djokovic, he's been there once before. You know, he's he's, he's been there where. And I, I was saying this to to a mate of mine yesterday that I think he was more dominant then than he is now. When when the first time round, he he just looked unbeatable, and mm. then out of nowhere, he he could barely win a tennis match.
2: Mm. I, I, and I, I... In some ways, you sort of hope it all happens at once, don't you? I almost don't want there to be like this weird era where we have, you know, Federer retires and then we have a year or two of Nadal and Djokovic, and then Nadal retires and then we have a year or two of just Djokovic pumping. Yeah. Everyone. I think that would be a
1: real shame. I think on on that point, it's important to remember the other factor is how much do the guys below improve as well. I think Team genuinely is someone who will now challenge them at pretty much every slam apart from Wimbledon at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's kind of hit that level. There's development that needs to come in the Sissipas game, but you kind of saw in that semi-final against Djokovic, there were at least kind of more mental belief he can beat him at a slam, possibly. Um, so, I, you know, Sinner is someone who we all think can develop into someone who could hit through Djokovic on that point. Um, and that's what you need, really, to beat Djokovic. <laughs> you kind of need a perfect day where you are going to hit so perfectly. And someone like Sinner could do that. So the development of this little group below will also affect it. But I still think Novak's got a great chance of finishing top of this lot,
0: and probably should, I would say. I I think as well that um, when you normally get these kind of eras, when they've happened before and then they end you've generally got sort of the the sort of insiders in tennis. They know that there's, there's one or more exceptional juniors coming through. It was certainly the case with Federer that we knew from sort of 16, we had a fair idea he was going to be a, an elite level performer. And then again, certainly with Murray, Djokovic, Nadal and Wawrinka, that group we knew again, it was at least two of these, but probably all four of them are going to come to the very top of the game there's not at the minute there's not that sort of feeling about anybody sinner's in there and he's come through differently but at that sort of the sort of 16 to 20 year olds there's not really a feeling that any of them are going to come and dominate and that I might was, see see this era extend a bit i think
1: I was interesting to hear i mean felix was someone who I mean, it's a different kind of circle, but Felix, for a long time, was someone we were hearing a lot about as a 14-, 15-, 16-year-old. Do you feel yeah. that's kind of evaporated?
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's just had a terrible comeback since lockdown, hasn't he? And, and it's so strange because I watched him on his first match from lockdown when he played tennis sangren, and I thought, hey, this is the jump now. This is where he's going to do it. I mean, he's always been a phenomenal – he's been one of those players. He won a challenger at 16, and that's a phenomenal achievement. Um, and we've just been waiting and waiting. And he lost to Sanguine from, I think, a breakup in the third. Then he had a decent run at the US Open, but kind of got a bit embarrassed when he just... Everyone was expecting a great match with team, and he just got destroyed by team. Um, and then since then, he's not won a match. It's been a disaster.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just sort of flicking through the, the junior rankings, and I know junior tennis is, is not... You know, everything. And we've talked about this last week, I think. But, you know, you're right. There aren't names dominating, you know, what's been going on in junior tennis. And maybe that's, I don't know what that says. I mean, maybe that's not where we should be looking anymore and things have developed in a different way. But,
0: well, I mean, I I was, uh, to give some idea, I was in Portugal last week and the world junior number one was there. Um, Hmm. Runa from, I don't know, was he still world junior number one? Rune from Denmark? (laughs) George, you're on top of that. Normally, oh, I'm not really on top of the juniors.
1: I mean, I yeah, know he's, him, obviously. he's, he's, he's a good
0: he, he either he either is or was until recently the world junior number one, and he lost second round in that futures. And he's, he's world
2: number two now. No, it's Mayo yeah. who was the top seed, right? Season
0: okay, season, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, and and Rune lost second round at that 15k last week, which admittedly was a pretty strong 15k. But Murray was like I just said, Felix was winning challenges at 16. Murray was winning futures at 16, and I think he might even win a challenger at 16. Um, yeah. These guys, generally, the ones who are going to come through and dominate in that fashion, then they're not losing um, if they're going to be world number one. And I'm talking, you know, breaking, like, era-defining. They're, they're winning futures and challengers at, at that age. And so yeah. that sort of gives a, a hint that where, again, we're not in the strongest era of junior players.
2: Um, just just going into some of the comments on, on locker room, um, Andrew Jones sort of saying, Al Aliasime, as you mentioned, George Yannick Sinner, um, Taylor Fritz and Sebastian Corda, who we saw um, play Rafa Nadal. Now, obviously, we're writing Corda off because he got an autograph after a match. Which <laughs> Absolutely. Is, <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, Taylor Fritz is someone whose name we've seen there or thereabouts. I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on him. George, you're waving your head like he might be okay. Uh, I'm waving my head in the thought
1: of I see him as someone who potentially could win a, a slam if he has a great two weeks but I don't see him as a consistent multiple slam champion and even one slam I think would be an excellent career for him given
0: what he's got personally. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if he wins a slam.
1: Uh, there's also someone
2: mentioning Riley Apelka, which is Seems a bit out there for me, but um, I'm not
0: not totally convinced.
2: Uh, and Nick Kyrgios, who we sort of forget to talk about sometimes because we've talked
0: well, about there's him a later. reason we've there's a reason we forget to talk about Nick Kyrgios. It's because he's not been in the second week of a slam for five years. The most overhyped tennis player on the planet. <laughs>
2: Excellent news. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to bring in some slightly less overhyped players, which is uh, we haven't really mentioned their names which is like the second band. We're talking a lot about these young guys who might come through from what we consider nowhere at the moment. But, you know, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev, one of them surely has to win a slam in the next two years, if not more of them. If you have to pick one of those three, which one are you picking? Uh, Medvedev.
1: Oh, (laughs)
2: excellent. Uh,
1: George, make your case first. I I just think, the U.S. has been the slam that has opened itself up most, and I think Medvedev is the most likely of those three to win the U.S. Open. So that that's it's pretty much a, a slam by slam case. Like I think Novak it. wins Australia, Nadal's winning the French. One of Nadal, uh, one of Djokovic, and Federer will win Wimbledon, and then I think the U.S. is the most likely one, and Medvedev is. As capable as anyone of going through the door, there. I don't think Tsitsipas is as good on those hard courts. He mm. could win it, but and Zverev got to the final somehow. But I think in a normal slam, I'd expect him not to get there. And Medvedev it has shown he can do it. Calvin, you? You're backing Tsitsipas? Why?
0: Um, kind of for the same reason as George, but but completely opposite, really, in that I think he could win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he could he could feasibly win any of them. Yeah. Uh, whereas Medvedev, like George says, I, I, the only one I can see him winning is the US, um, which, yeah, it's a fair point that George makes. Um, I think he's a better player overall as well. I do have a major concern about his backhand. I, I don't think it's good enough, but I think it's one of those that if everything else falls together, he, he could do something, but his backhand is roping.
2: Mm. Um, let's move on to the women's draw because I'm conscious that we had an unbelievable result uh, and Calvin's been banging on about Sviontek. Incidentally, um, Sviontek, yeah, yeah. Right. Pronunciation I've managed to correctly. correct like, yeah. well. um, She won without dropping a set. I think she averaged two games a set in the sets. the uh, two games a set, two games per set lost. Um, I mean, Calvin. I, I know we went over it a little bit last week, but I'm intrigued. You basically saw her playing two years ago, and when?
0: This player's got it. Yeah, I saw her at Junior Wimbledon two thousand and eighteen where it was not you know, I've got to be sort of honest in this, it wasn't me sort of picking up a diamond in the rough. She was comfortably the best player in the women in the girls draw. I mm. think she might even have been top seed. But I've seen a few top seeds in my time and not had the same feeling. But yeah. she was like when the match I saw her play two matches that, that tournament and it was genuinely like you'd put a female a top ten in the world. Woman player into the juniors draw. She was so dominant and so overpowering over the other players.
1: Hmm. I, I, I was just having a little chuckle in my head there, James, that when we went to watch uh, Junior Wimbledon and watched the goat, uh, Seng play um, Sin. Yeah, I mean he did win it that year. To be fair. <laughs> he did win he, it. He didn't... beat Jack Draper. Jack um, Draper. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, me and James were sat there in the in the uh, stands, joking that this kid, because he's born on the same day as Federer as well. We were kind of joking, right. that He's he's going to be the one to dominate the world, and we we loved watching him. But it, I think having spoken to a few people at Moratoglou since then, the serves a major major concern in his game generally. Um, but I, I'm just saying our, our forecast hasn't gone quite as well as yours yet. He, he was a phenomenal
0: junior. He was a phenomenal junior, but. Um... As with a lot of players from that part of the world, just a, a, it was always expected that it would be a little bit underpowered yeah. um, in the men's game. And I think that's the way it's gone. There's, there's been a few over the years.
2: Mm. Um, but Svantec is not, not one of those. Uh, George, I mean, it was... My, my mum said, uh, my mum's a big tennis fan, but more on the aesthetic than the technical. Um, she, she said she really enjoyed the women's final and not the men's final. Was it a better match, the women's final?
1: Um. Oh, that's a good question. Which one was the better match? I think. I think mm. Oh God, you've you've actually rumbled me with that question. I'm not sure I've an answered that. I think there were there were better points in Nadal and Djokovic, um, but it was a better. Oh, I don't know. No, I think the men's probably was slightly better. To be honest, but mm. I mean, Sfiance. But nevertheless, I mean, a new a, a new showcase, slam winner. That's
2: important.
1: Yeah, I mean. In terms of the story, I think it was pretty fantastic for siontek I mean, she's someone we we obviously have spent a lot of time talking about in the kind of short time I've known Calvin. I feel like we've spoken about siontek almost yeah. like every other topic. It's been, you <laughs> know, we're we're both big admirers of her. Um, you know, I think before Hallep she faced Hallep, I was saying I don't see. Who's going to beat Halep? And it needed kind of what was then with rapper, It needed someone to be playing at such a ridiculously high level to take out someone like Halep. And it was no surprise mm. that from that point she then became the favorite. And I rightly then predicted her to win the tournament. Now I'm going to bring you into the predictions you both both got wrong. Where uh, <laughs> what did, who did you guys go for? It was Fitalina.
0: I went Fitalina. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, your prediction was dead almost before the podcast went onto iTunes. I think.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was fuming actually that I have made that <laughs> because I, as I, was, as, as I was saying, like in our chat group the other day, like if I'd have actually thought about it more, and I'd have looked and thought, who do I actually think if I, I'd have put spheretech against Svantek, sorry, against uh, any of the players left in the draw, with the possible exception of Kvitova, I'd have picked her. But I think I just went, like, without thinking, I just went Svitolina in that she's been in the most form most recently over the last 18 months. Mm. But she's she's always crumbled in slams, though. So it was a ridiculous pick for me, that. Yeah. I
1: mean, glorious opportunity as well, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. you shouldn't dwell on someone's failing too much. But, I mean, for Alina Svitolina, th- th- this was... A, you're not going to get a better chance are you really I know Skiontek yeah. ended up playing that well but for someone who is the third seed yet to make a Grand Slam breakthrough you, you can't ask for a better Slam chance than that yeah,
0: how, yeah totally
1: how successful I mean you know we've talked a lot about how good we think Skiontek
2: is and, and you know how much of a breakthrough this is but is, is she a 3 Slam winner is she an 8 Slam winner or is this someone who's really going to dominate the women's game for a considerable period of time Hard to tell, I know, but
1: well, I, you know, I think we've kind of spoken a little bit about the rivalries that are going to come come through in the women's game, and I, I do think that'll define who wins more, is who's going to win these head to heads of the kind of the young girls, to young ladies who I think are going to be up there. So I'm I'm talking about Osaka, Goff, I think Bianca's in that group. Um, I actually think Kenan is in that group. I think she's kind of shown she has the kind of mentality that she'll put herself in a lot of positions to potentially win slams, even though I don't think she's necessarily at the level. of The other ones, I think she'll get into a lot of positions where she can um, win majors. Andreescu is the other one if she gets fit again. I think that that group of five, and maybe like Anisimova, if she gets back on track, um, will determine it. Um, I've said before, I think Osaka can win 10. Uh, I, I still stand by that. I think that sounds a high jarring number, but I think she's the best hard hardcourter, um, perhaps Andresu keeping up there. Sviontek, if you look at her results, generally hasn't quite done it anywhere else. And it's always interesting from this point, does she now become overwhelmed that everyone in Poland knows her, for example? Does, she, does that kind of stardom halt her progress or does it go the other way where she suddenly believes, wow, I've just played like this for two weeks. I'm now going to go on and dominate. So there's always that slight risk factor where it can be like a, an Ostapenko versus an Osaka in terms of where your career is going to go. Um, but I, I, I think she, right now I would say four is is the number I would go for for Spiontek right now, but it could be much higher than that. She's only 19 and she's got everything in her game that could make her go to my, towards my Osaka 10 pick.
0: Mm. I think as well it was it was an interesting one with uh, with the surface there, that I think that um, it sort of fitted nicely into her style of game. Like, it, it was a low-bouncing clay court, which kind of suited her forehand quite well. Um, I think it she, she'd be more of a hard-court player, I would think. So it's interesting that the first one she's won is the French, although, albeit, a very different French. But um, to answer your question, James, I think she's a multiple-slam winner, but... It's both an interesting and unpredictable era that I think we're coming into the women's game where we could end up with five or six players or with eight slams. Um, and, uh, and I think it's quite, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting time. There's certainly there's a few stars coming into the women's game that we've not had for a while.
2: Hmm. Um, I, I suppose. What, what about you, James?
0: Where wow. we get a little
2: prediction from you? Let's let's, let's hear yeah. It. Since I put you all on the spot, um, I wouldn't like to think you've mentioned a lot of names there, George. There are a lot of really quite strong-looking female players around, and no, women's tennis has a lot of depth. And you know, kind of beyond Serena, it's had this like very what Mark Corrigan would describe as a very flat management structure, and you to make significant progress up it quite quickly. Uh, And so uh, as as easy as it is necessarily to get above it, I would also say it's very easy to get kind of caught up. And, you know, how many players over the last five years have we talked about being ready to dominate women's tennis? I think she'll win three slams. No more, no fewer. (laughs) That's a prediction, which will probably be wrong. Uh, George, I believe you've got a nice list of predictions I got wrong. Um, anyone who's listening uh, a week ago will know that uh, George basically gave Calvin Nye some 50 50 chances. Um, we managed to draw seven all um, in the predictions last time out. I think I'm ashamed to say that I did not manage to scrape a point this time, did I, George?
1: You got two this time, did you? Yeah, but I mean, I didn't get a draw, did I? Oh, I see. Sorry, I beg your pardon. I was a bit distracted. Um, My high point was predicting Diego Schwartzman to beat Dominic Thiem. Yeah, and that, and that, to be fair, was was a good prediction. That was up there with the pick of the predictions. Um, <laughs> I I'm struggling to find the list again, which is always the way with this thing. Um, oh, good.
2: I mean, I did just like consistently ask you to like you know be prepared occasionally, but that's,
1: <laughs> that's the kind of thing you get with George. It's, it's, you know. <laughs>
2: On a the problem is, yeah,
1: oh, here, we go. Look... So we, here we go. I've got two, it. I've got it. I've got, it. I've got okay. it. Yeah, you lost five 2 I've got. I've got it now. So, right. obviously, some of them were quite obvious. Like one of you took Djokovic. One of you took Nadal. Then yeah. uh, James had the excellent team pick. Um, I think in terms of the other ones, none of them were particularly outrageous. Whether I guess you took Svitolina, James. That was a bit of a. A bummer for you. That's where the tide really turned against you with Podoroska, Uh, who had a crazy tournament. Podoroska, I mean, that that was unbelievable. Does anyone know anything about her? She's from Argentina, and she was a qualifier. That's uh... (laughs) so you know what it says on the draw sheet. (laughs) All right,
2: very impressive knowledge once again, George. We're all blown away by it. Uh, Let's move on swiftly from my predictions failure because it's it's just that's all anyone needs to know about it. Um, George, you were mentioning that Andy Murray's back in action this week, um, but also kind of a bit of work off the court. He's back on the ATP Player Council, is that right?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> um, that's correct. He is playing. I didn't
2: know he. I mean, I think I did know he was on it, but his brother's more famous for his camp, player council work, isn't he?
1: Yeah, so his brother was on it more recently. But there was a time where Djokovic and Andy were president and vice president i think i can't remember which okay. way around that was now that that was kind of before i was actually doing this job i think around like 2014 sort of time um, I think you have to be doing the job to know who's on the ATP Council at any time. As I've more. often said to you, it's not, the sexiest, uh, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, is it? I've done my best to make it as sexy as possible, and uh, I think I've I've thrived in making Player Council talk as sexy as possible. Um, I, I actually am not going to make this particularly sexy. I think it's a good group of guys who come in, and um, Felix and John Millman, the John Millman, one of our favourite people on the podcast, He's a chapter, famously shafted us. Um, <laughs> so it, it's good to see him on there. Um, let's be honest; I mean, it, the way the player council is going to go now is how how's it how's this professional tennis players' association that Djokovic has built going to affect their work? Is that going to Come to a head? Is it going to be Djokovic versus Federer, Nadal and Murray? Kind of on the outside. That that that's that's where it will become sexy again. But right now, having Murray in there, I think is a good appointment. And he said he wanted to get back in the politics. And good see. Well,
2: I think that that's what's interesting for me is that we, you know, Andy Murray taking up a new role within tennis is is not something we um, we thought we'd be seeing. You know, it says a lot about where his head's at. In terms of his attitude towards his role in tennis, you know, he's not expect. That doesn't suggest to me he's expecting to hang his racket up in the next six months. And kind of looking further forward, it suggests to me that Andy Murray isn't going to be going anywhere, even when he does. I think he's a, you know, he's a guy
1: who it seems
2: really wants to be involved in tennis going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I feel like he's asked about one in three press conferences because we see him so infrequently now because it's quite rare for him to go beyond the second round anywhere. It's like, what, have you given yourself more thought about where you want to go in tennis? And it's always a fairly vague answer where he kind of half mumbles about, maybe I'd like to coach. Actually, I think the most recent one that is that he would like to coach in a different sport that's not tennis. I think that was his latest... Yeah, I saw that. Uh, really. <laughs> ...thing he was leaning towards. Um, to be a caddy, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think Murray's one of these guys who'll probably take a little break from it all either way. He's obviously got a young family now that he'll want to spend time with, but he cares about tennis. He loves tennis. He's a tennis fanatic. You know, if you speak to him, he knows all the stats about the game. He's He's really, really interested in it. So there's a passion there and he cares about its future and he'll speak candidly and honestly about how he feels or where he feels the direction it should be going. So it's good to have him back on the council from that perspective because he is perhaps more uh, on it than some of the more pie-eyed people who have been involved in it in the
0: past, naming their names. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it He's a rational head, isn't he, um, in, in what can be a sort of time of madness. And you'll always get a sort of honest opinion from, from Andy. And he, he tends to ha- does tend to look out for the lower-ranked players as well. Um, and he, he's close to, you know, he he practices a lot with a lot of the Brits, so he knows the sort of trials and tribulations of that lower level as well. Um mm. And, he, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy, so I think he'll always do what's best for the sport.
2: Yeah, good news indeed. Um, he is in action tomorrow at the uh, prestigious Bet1
1: Hulks Indoors. Uh, <laughs> <a tournament. laughs> That's a bloody nightmare to write that earlier. It? It's got like, it's like one of those things like talk sport where it doesn't capitalise the first B as well, isn't
2: it? Or something. Oh, I see. So right? B-E-T-T-1, the number, and then, then Hulks. capital H or something. I mean, this is Cologne, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Uh, What's well, so, Cologne, if you want? Dan Cologne, Cologne won. Dennis yeah, yeah, on Cologne the um, one. app. I know. So, I, is is I, there it's two there are are there? Cologne? Yeah, there's
2: another. <laughs> two, I think they've got two 250s back to back in <laughs> Yeah. Turn, yeah. Um, right. In an effort to try. It's on hardcore. I assume it's indoors. Cause it is indoors, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be playing tennis outdoors anymore. I think they've learned their lesson with the French Open now.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so, so Vadasco first, and then if he wins, a potential rematch with Zverev. Okay, so he's got a nice, friendly draw
2: again. Um, yeah. I, Calvin, you were saying Dan Evans was playing Stan Wawrinka today and had match points and blew them. Uh, I now know he lost three, six, seven, six, seven, five. Uh, yeah,
0: he had he had three on on to be fair on Wawrinka's serve. Um mm. So that would be a rough one to take. Because I think uh, was it the last time they played at the US Open and he had match points there as well. Um, yeah. I mean, you're yeah, to yeah, if you're going to take any positives from it for for him, then you know it's he's obviously played a good match there uh, against a good player. Um, he's struggled a bit for form since U.S. Open. So, mm. um, but you know that's what tends to happen when you're a bit out of form. You lose those type of matches.
1: Do you, with the players you've worked with, Calvin in the past, how much harder is is it to get over losses like that when you've been so close to winning
0: rather than? Maybe
1: like being thrashed.
0: Yeah, it's it's rough. It's it's different. You know, that type of one is it's just deflating. Although being thrashed is probably worse because uh, you kind sort of it's so difficult finding any um, any positive to speak about. But yeah, it, yeah, it, it it's tough. But it happens. You know, it's it, it's one of the the parts of the game. And um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be a rough uh, a rough evening for. Ever and his coach builds, mm. no doubt.
2: And it's kind of an important, I was just looking at the, the world rankings, and it's kind of an important little period of the year for Dan because, you know, he's 34 in the world. If he goes on a slide, all of a sudden, there's no chance. But he still has a shot of being a seeded player at the Australian Open, which, you know, makes a big difference in terms of draw. Um, he won't want to start losing points or kind of more prudently because of the way the system works at the moment, it'll quite like start picking up some points in this sort of part and season.
0: Yeah, well, they've changed the... Uh, just anything. in the last couple of days, they've changed the ranking system that now points stay on until March. So mm. you can't lose any before then.
2: But, but equally, um, no one around him can lose any, so... No, no. So he could, you know... He, yeah. So and,
1: and, and this is a time of year... This is a time of year where he, he is capable of doing well. He always talks about how he... Is a big fan of playing on indoor hard. Um, so, this this will be a time where he thinks he can pick up a lot of points, I imagine. And he'll be disappointed to lose that one in that manner today against uh,
0: a top player. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's the schedule looking like now, George? Have they put in the schedule for the rest of the year or are we just adding them every every couple of weeks?
1: So, so Paris is definitely in. Um, right at least on or as definitely as you can get in this time. That was kind yeah. of confirmed as being on. Um, the the A T V finals has been like a bit of a cloak and dagger thing at the minute. I mean they're all talking about it happening. It is gonna happen in some capacity. Yeah. Um, but, but how it's gonna happen's been shrouded in mystery. None of us know if we're gonna be able to go. I'm I'm kinda of hoping well, I imagine there'll be no fans, obviously, given yeah. the current situation in the UK. Um, so it might, it might be quite fun. I'm, I'm hoping they'll let us go so we can have like five of us sat in the stadium and have like a really unique view of it. But I suspect we'll get shafted as well. Yeah. I have
2: to say, having covered a bit of football um, over the last couple of months, you know, as one of only maybe 100 people in the stadium, it's fascinating. Because you can hear, I mean, I know in tennis, we can often hear the players more anyway. But, you know, we've been able to hear every single word
1: people are saying. I, I was just going to say on that point that, you know, there are certain places you go in tennis to watch it where you're put a lot closer to, or, like, there's less sound around. And one of them's Queen's Court 1. And yeah. I, you're sat right behind the uh, the chairs, basically. And I, I went to sit there for a Kyrgios match. And that was one of the most amazing matches I've ever watched. He was playing Felix. And he, honestly, he like, came over to the, the side of the bench and he blew his nose into a towel. And you'd, ne- you'd never see this normally or hear what's going on. But a photographer took a picture of him while he was doing that. he absolutely <laughs> lost it. This cameraman and, like, lobbed this snotty towel at him. And like, just some of the things you might miss otherwise are just such entertaining little snippets. Um, and unfortunately, like a, a lot, well, not unfortunately, it's totally fair. But a lot of our press seats are a little bit further away where you sometimes miss out on that kind of interaction that's happening down at that level Some, sometimes the conversation's down there between like, the umpire and the players um, you know, a curious match is always going to be like that anyway but that sort of interaction is something you do miss out on so I'd, I'd be very interested if we did get the opportunity to kind of hear tennis in silence but live in the stadium to see what sort of things we pick up on.
2: And I think it's important, you know, we often get criticised as journalists for having free tickets for things and you're just fans with a clipboard and you know, those things often don't get broadcast on TV because broadcasters aren't in a position to put it out live, you know, for whatever reason. And actually, as a journalist, you can provide something really good for, for readers or listeners or viewers or whatever by being there and by picking up on that stuff. And it is I think it's important color. I've well, just come back to your scheduling question, um, Calvin. There are still, um, yeah, pretty much indoors. The European Open in Antwerp, the indoor tournament there that's going ahead at the moment um and then we've got uh and 500 in austria which is i suppose taking the place of the swiss indoors which isn't happening as far as i know right
0: they
1: they normally run concurrently um but i think okay. I've, i think novak's taking a wild card there today i, I, think yeah, got, I haven't that, yeah. really been working today but i think he's taken a a while are card you
2: ever um <laughs> and there is of course the uh the big ATP 250 in uh, Kazakhstan in nur Nursaltan, which I know the, Well, the big one. Well, the yet. big
0: one, yeah. The big That's
2: one. our
1: favourite tournament of the year, though. The
2: Astana Open. Is there, is there a bigger tournament in Kazakhstan that week?
1: What was the lineup, it? James?
2: Uh, I couldn't tell you the uh, entry list off the top of my head at the moment, but. Uh, We're probably going to leave... have to do
1: a pod on that at some point, so we'll, we'll oh, dive
2: in that you, week. <laughs> George, I tell you what, we shouldn't write this off because John Millman's playing. And we don't write off John Millman. No. Um,
0: Never. Not, be, but how um, fitting
2: would it be if he won our favourite tournament this year? That would be fantastic. That would be that would actually be pretty epic. There's
0: a lot. Be of surely things. that that'd be the type of thing that federal would be playing. Right? Now he's ch- chasing this 100 titles. That'd be a, <laughs> a sort of peak, peak obvious suggestion. He's
2: playing a futures event in uh, an indoor tournament in Bournemouth. I think it's about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Just coming on to futures events, actually, Calvin, I know you touched on it earlier. You, you've been out working with, uh, with Luke Johnson in Portugal um, on a few futures tournaments. Uh, yeah. And you've been saying, you know, one of the sort of consequences of the suspensions in different parts of the world is they've been really strong fields.
0: Yeah, phenomenally strong. Um, we went to a 20, 25k in Porto and then down to 15 in Setubal. Um, and the fields were just f- phenomenally high and I think they're getting even stronger over the next couple of weeks as well. Um, like Misha Zverev was in Porto, he played the one in Porto, he was meant to be in Secheval but uh, he ended up not playing it. Um, Thomas Bellucci was also supposed to be in Secheval but he, he withdrew late on um, and it's basically because there's no tournaments at all in America or South America, you've just got a phenomenal amount of um, of people from those parts of the world coming over to play the European futures, of which there are also not many. There'd normally be at this time of year, there'd probably be ten or eleven futures um, in Europe alone. Um, and basically, at the minute, there's I think there was three last week.
2: Mm. So you've essentially got less money going around. Short answer.
0: Well, I mean, you've generally got, I mean, the, the men's rankings go to about 2,300. Um, regularly playing, re- players who are playing regularly, and there's probably, there's less than that. There's probably about 1,500, 1,600 people playing regularly um, on, on a, in a normal year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've basically got, if you've got three or four tournaments running, that's, that's 32 main draw for each tournament plus another th- 48 in qualies. So you've got about you know you've got about a thousand players who can't get into tournaments at the minute
2: It's a bleak state of affairs but um just tell us a little bit about how your your particular trip went working with Luke and um, one or two good wins I think you were mentioning
0: yeah yeah it was you know it was his first uh, first tournaments um on the road back again, so it was mainly sort of finding our feet again and getting the rust off um, he had a couple of good wins. Uh, He had a good win the first week, and then he played uh, an American lad who played out of his skin. Um, That was a tough one to take. Second week, um, in the first round of qualies, he played the worst tennis player I've ever seen in the first round. (laughs) Um,
2: You've got to tell us a bit more about this guy. Skippy, I believe his name
0: was. uh, Skippy Chapman, yeah. Um, It it was quite... um, Well, basically when the draw came out. The night before, for people who don't know, you find out who you're playing the night before. Uh, And obviously we've seen this. We know most of the players who are at the tournament. And then you get, especially the only ones you tend not to know are the local locals who've gone and signed in. But then he was playing an American called Skippy Chapman. Uh, And generally what you do when the draw comes out, you don't know them. You click on their ITF profile uh, and you have a look at their results. And when we clicked on his ITF profile, it went to no page found. Um, so so then the next step then was to type in Skippy Chapman tennis. Um, and on the whole of the Internet, the only page that had Skippy Chapman tennis was the draw from the tournament that we're talking about. Um, so basically, we turned up the next day and it turns out that he's an American, but he lives in Portugal uh, and he signed in and he, he's basically a beginner like he couldn't serve he couldn't get the ball over the net um, his Instagram page is um, musician stroke entrepreneur uh, from from Nashville uh, and he was 45 years old um, with a ponytail and yeah he he won two points um in, no. the whole match, in the whole match yeah he won two points in the whole match um and it was quite it, it was a bit rough because you don't want to sort of be cruel and what have you but as you as we were at the tournament it, it there's not many people then it's a small smallish club and yeah. word obviously gets around what's going on on the court and like words obviously spread to the to the sort of locker room and the other areas that you've got to come and see this guy who Luke Johnson's playing. And and like, so before you know it, there's like 20 people around the court with the camera out taking videos. Uh, and it was, yeah, it, it was, it, it was pretty bad. Um, I mean,
2: did, did he seem
0: to be enjoying himself? Um, it, Look, it, it's not something that's as, as rare as you'd think. I've seen this sort of situation four or five times before. Um, there was one, it's it strange now because in main draw, they've brought in a rule this year of that. The match has to be, I forget how they term it, but the, the, the match has to have sort of sporting value. And in Greece earlier this year, um, a Greece, there was a Greek wildcard uh, who turned up in the main draw, um, who turned up with a, a, a carrier bag and a racket. And, um, literally, and it's weird because I, I wasn't there, but I knew the lad he was playing and I'd seen the result and the result was on the draw. I was going to Greece the next day and, uh, and the result sheet on the, on the result was two love defaulted. And I wondered what on earth happened here. Um, and it turns out when I get there the next day, the, the tournament referee has basically watched the match and then gone on the court and said I'm not allowing this to happen. <laughs> he there's stopped no, the fight. Yeah, <laughs> he, he stopped, yeah. Off. Yeah, he waved it off, yeah. And he said I'm I'm not there's no sporting value in this match and it, and it's it's getting cancelled. So it's gone as if you look on it it's it's the last tournament in Greece before uh before the lockdown. The, the last tournament because it finished mid tournament and there's a result on there and it says 2 love default. Um and it's an American lad called um i forget his name is uh, it skippy, skippy
1: judia <laughs> no,
0: no, no. The, the american lad won it was the greek one so it's uh, not it, it's not this type of situation with skippy wasn't um wasn't entirely as as rare as you would hope in tennis but it, it was probably the worst that i've seen um, i mean i i like i would have beaten him love and love with my left hand like, and like that, that he couldn't, he couldn't get the ball over the net. Like that, that's the thing. Um, but uh, yeah. So then after that, that then look, like, uh, after that sort of uh, brilliant experience, um, he, he then qualified that week and he put drew the top seed in the first round and uh, beat him actually. Um, it was JC Aragon, who a couple of tennis uh, connoisseurs might know he qualified and won a round at the US Open 2018. So that was a decent win. And then uh, lost next round to a guy, a Brazilian lad who, again, they're all serious players because Mm. there's not many places to go and play tournaments. Yeah.
1: Can I just ask, uh, I think, the serious question that needs to be asked here. How did uh, Skippy win his two points? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: One of them... I'm trying to think. I didn't see one of them because they were on sort of two courts over. So Some say it was the greatest point ever
1: played. Yeah.
0: um, (laughs) The the, the funniest thing was, it's like, and I I know I sent you two guys videos of it, but there's one point where he's just like, he's kind of like running into the court midpoint and you've no idea where he's going. He sort of hits (laughs) a shot and you think like, where are you going, Skippy? Like, how do you see this point panning out? And he, he sort of seems to, he's sort of, base ready position is somewhere between the service line and the baseline um i'm gonna
2: hold judgment until you see me play because i'm a big fan of that area you're never wrong
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say it's an astonishing thing in I, i played with a couple of beginners this summer because there was actually quite like obviously quite a big spike in the uk where a lot of people were picking up a racket for the first time because it was one of the sports you could play um I'm always astonished by beginners playing the first time, particularly in doubles. They'd love to stand, like, in the middle between the service line and the baseline.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's like... We, I, it used to be drilled into us as no man's land, but it must be kind of I mean, a, the- a natural position for people who've just picked up the racket. That's where you must be between the, the, these two magic lines.
0: The peak of this particular match, and I thought I'd seen it, but obviously I was two courts away, so I couldn't be certain, but it was confirmed to me by Luke when he came off, that Skippy was serving to the ad court, um, and he served wide. And But I mean he served wide of the juice court. <laughs> <laughs> um, and wide of the tram line on the juice cot whilst aiming for the ad. And that actually happened. That's not an exaggeration. We've all been there. Uh, uh,
2: I mean, let's face it, you've seen some incredible tenants over the last couple of weeks, one way or another. Uh, things that will never be repeated again, quite possibly.
0: Um, yeah, but but no, I mean, on, on a serious note with the futures, that uh, they need to get them... Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, there's a tw- there's a 25K in Hamburg next week, I think, um, which is for people, again, that don't know, 25K is the next to bottom rung of professional tennis that you can play. Um, there was an Israeli lad who we practiced with one of the days, and he's ranked 360, and he said as it stood he wasn't in qualifying for that tournament yet. He needed players to pull out just to wow. get in qualifying. Um, and And 360 would normally get you a top four seeding in a 25K. It would get you into qualies normally in a Challenger. Yeah, pretty-
2: the reality so, of it is, though, like when you can't, I know that, that tickets don't exactly shift big for these tournaments, but presumably that, that takes away a little bit more revenue. There's less sponsorship, if any. Yeah,
0: maybe. yeah. The
2: revenue's gone and there just isn't the money around.
0: Yeah, it's 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 tough, um, and you know, just some sort of dis- interesting situations as well that we spoke to. That there's a lot of the few Israeli lads that were out there in Portugal, and um, they're, they're all good lads. And they were saying that that they're sort of in limbo at the minute because the Israeli lockdowns are so tight, which is surprising because Israel's normally such a sort of relaxed country. <laughs> um, but um, they uh, they were saying that they're not going home. There's, they're not going to go home, so they're almost like living the lives of hobos at the minute, um, wow. and they don't know where where they go in the next few weeks. And they're just sort of traveling Europe, maybe just going somewhere to train. But they said if they go home, they pretty much won't get back out. Uh, they won't be able to practice. So, um, and I think there's likely to be a few, a lot of players in that sort of situation at the minute. Just sort
2: of almost not quite homeless, but yeah, like basically still, still yeah um, can't go home
0: yeah you know and it's like where do you go because all the countries have got sort of different situations they were even talking about staying in Portugal for another week just to practice if they couldn't get in the tournaments because they don't know you generally you know when you're in a tournament about 10 days before the tournament starts Um, but even that can change if you're not in there's still a fair chance you'll get in after that 10 day period but um, they were sort of just saying they might just float around Portugal for a bit
2: yeah crikey well, I think we've kept everyone up quite late enough. I've had enough technical issues for a lifetime. Uh, George, Calvin, thank you very much for your company. As always. Pleasure, lads. If you are Thanks, listening guys. on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening on the replay, please do leave us a review and a rating. If you're listening on the Locker Room app, then we'll be here probably next week and probably about the same time, and I might even do it for my wardrobe.
0: <laughs> Cheers, lads. Bye-bye. Cheers. Right. See you later.